Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. I am feeling much better. How are you, my friend? Uh, I am good. I uh, I am very good. I'm glad to hear that you're doing better. Um, I thought you sounded fine last week, but uh, I was sorry to hear that you weren't feeling so fine. So I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah, I, I definitely pulled through. It was a very enjoyable week, and we are going to talk about some Australian hard rock in a little bit. Uh, but before we get there, anything uh, anything uh, that you enjoyed this particular week? I, I have a feeling there might be one or two things that you uh, <laughs> have been listening to on repeat. Yeah, well, I, me- I mentioned last week that I was looking forward to the Beast in Black and Ad Infinitum albums, and I've listened to both of those uh, many, many times in the past week, and they uh, are both fantastic. I- I'm a big fan of both of them, so uh, kudos to both bands for um, making two really good follow-up albums after uh, two very strong, um, their their previous releases were both very strong. Um, I would imagine that we'll be revisiting both of these albums when we do our, our year-end uh, episode. Um, but uh, a couple of uh, interesting things. Um, I- I'll let you kind of uh, lead the way on this one because it's a little bit more in your wheelhouse, but uh, it- it- Porcupine Tree has a new single. You stole my thunder. I <laughs> I have been looking... So to set the stage, November 1st, I wake up to a text message from uh, a mutual friend of ours, and-, and I thought it was a joke because he said that Porcupine Tree had released a uh, a new single and I thought they were done. I know Stephen Wilson had released a solo album either it was earlier this year or last year. It wasn't my thing. I just I couldn't get into it. But when I heard that there was new Porcupine Tree music, I was uh, beyond happy. These guys were like my entire like college experience. Like I just fell in love with these guys in the late '90s and early 2000s, and it was so so good to to hear that they were back together and recording. And and they came out with a new song called um, Haradon. It's a uh, eight-minute single, you know, in typical Porcupine Tree fashion. And they announced that their album Closure Continuation is coming out on June 24th of next year. The single is fantastic. I cannot wait to hear this. I know they're not really your cup of tea, or at least I guess you got to kind of be in the right mood to to, to dive into these guys. Uh, but I would encourage you to to listen to the single if you haven't heard it yet. And I will soon force you to listen to one of their albums because I, that's what we do here at the Metal Exchange. Torture each other. Yeah. Yes, exactly. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, yeah, I did download. I, I pre-ordered the album and um, and I downloaded the the track. I don't. I can't remember if I listened to it, um, so I'm just going to assume that I didn't. Um, but uh, I will. Um, also. Um, couple of things I wanted to mention. Uh, Power Glove um, released a cover of the Ghostbusters theme song originally done by uh, Ray Parker Jr. Uh, for Halloween. I thought it was a really well done cover. Um, and uh, Rhapsody of Fire also dropped another single from their upcoming album, Glory, of, uh, Glory for Salvation. Um, songs called Chains of Destiny. Probably the best of the singles they've put out so far. So definitely worth... Uh, worth checking out. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, hearing that album in its entirety. It will be out before the end of the year. Um, so I'm sure it'll be mentioned again before the year is out. But uh, yeah, that was pretty much it for me. Uh, how about you outside of Porcupine Tree? Yeah, so the Porcupine Tree was definitely the um, the highlight of my week. I, I have to say I was not expecting that, as I, as I mentioned. 
Um, but there was one other album that I sent to you offline and I sent to a mutual friend of ours as well. Uh, and he really took a liking to it, which I'm, I'm not surprised given his uh, musical scoring background. But the new Diablo Swing Orchestra album, Swagger and a Stroll Down the Rabbit Hole, really good. And and I've, I kind of have like an interesting relationship with these guys insofar as it's like, I listened to it, I appreciate it, but I never really like loved any of their stuff, although I certainly liked some of it. I thought the new album was really good though, and I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. So um, I don't even know how to describe this band to notes to someone that has never listened to them. Uh, avant-garde, I guess, would be one way to describe it, but it it's part big band, part metal, part prog, and just 90% weird, but it's really, really catchy the new one so I, I i would be remiss if i did not mention that and i'll definitely post a track or two from it uh later in the week just because it's if it's something that you haven't heard you definitely should listen to it at least once yeah i i enjoyed it quite a bit actually um i remember seeing them live at prog power 10 and really not knowing anything by them and just being very blown away by the performance just because you know there's just nothing like it, it it's really just this this unbelievable um mix of genres um there's metal and there's swing and there's jazz and like it's just uh it's it's pretty wild stuff so um yeah definitely check it out if you're if you're into a lot of different types of genres kind of being <laughs> go in with an open together. mind go yeah, in with an open sure. mind and and when you do i think you might be uh pleasantly surprised and, and the band continues to kind of swing on no pun intended they've been kind of churning out albums every couple of years i think this is their fourth or fifth uh full-length release so kudos to them on that um but let's let's get to the reason why we are here today which is acdc's back in black going back to july 25th of 1980 the album is uh, 41 years old uh and and these and apparently i, I did not know this it is the second best selling album in music history, which that alone should tell you um, the depth of, of what we're about to cover. Um, but I, as I had mentioned last week, I, I had another album picked out, but it was the middle of the World Series. I had been watching every single game, every pitch. And for whatever reason, in Atlanta, when there was like a tense moment, they would start by playing the beginning of Hell's Bells before the pitcher would throw the next pitch. Um, and, and I'll tell you a little story before we kind of get into the album. I was, again, watching the World Series, but this time I was watching Game 6 in Houston, and they cut to a commercial break early on in the game uh, in between innings, and all of a sudden they show a picture of Ozzie Albies, the Braves' young, uh, you know, all-star second baseman who is going to lead off the next inning, and they are playing Back in Black as the music outro to the, uh, you know, as they go into commercial. And I went from being a very, very nervous, uh, concerned fan to realizing that they were about to win the World Series, even though it had been 0-0 in, in this particular game. Sure enough, Ozzy Albies comes to the plate. He hits a base hit. And a couple of batters later, uh, they hit a three-run home run that I believe is still on its way up because it was a <laughs> moonshot. And the Braves won the World Series. So putting my mind at ease, I'd like to thank ACDC and myself for, for choosing this album because I don't think it could have been any more timely for me because I had one hell of a week, I, I have to say. Um, but that story aside... It, it sounds like this album and, and the Braves winning the World Series this year were probably 
be kind of locked together in your memory until... Oh, for sure. I mean, the timing couldn't have been any um, more fortuitous. I'll, I'll say it that way. Uh, certainly a band that deserves coverage. I just, I, you know, I, I pivoted and then they won the World Series. And it's something that I'll take with me for the next, uh, however long I've got here on this, this planet. Um, but it was, it was, it was amazing. And it was just uh, something that I, it was like kind of ingrained in me at this point. Uh, ACDC is kind of a band that, you know, I know all the hits. I've heard a lot of the big numbers, but I never did a deep dive into any of their albums or any of their like deeper cuts here. Um, is it fair to say the same for you? Yes, definitely. Um, I think I had maybe five or six of their songs. Um, the, the real, you know, Dirty Deeds, Dunder Cheap, TNT, Highway to Hell, Thunderstruck, kind of the, the, the obvious ones. Um, I think I really should probably invest in, in an ACDC greatest hits album or something and just kind of expand the horizon. But I think listening to back and black was a good way to kind of get a couple more songs in the wheelhouse, uh, you know, and get myself more familiar. I knew hell's bells back in black and you shook me all night long, very well going into this. I didn't, I had never heard any of the other songs actually. So, um, that it was cool to kind of hear some new, some other songs and, and it, nothing was really surprising. It sounded like what I would have expected from ACDC, but sure. um, it, it, it's worth mentioning. Like you said, like the, the, the popularity of this band, I mean, they're one of the most, uh, you know, well-liked rock bands ever. And just uh, this past week, it was announced that their, um, their Thunderstruck music video uh, from their 1990 Razor's Edge album had surpassed 1 billion views on YouTube, which is that's insane. crazy. And I'll tell you a little bit of a funny story with that song. Uh, I have season tickets to see the St. John's basketball team play. I've had tickets for probably close to 20 years at this point, going back to when I was a student at the school and then going there again for law school. But the reason I bring that up is because before tip-off, as the team is kind of like after the national anthem, as they're about ready to like throw the ball up to start the game, they kick it off with Thunderstruck. And my dad, who I go to the games with, says to me or said to me, I remember when we one of these times that they're playing Thunderstruck, he says to me, what is this? And I, you know, they, it's obviously a very iconic intro to a track. And he said, I said to him, you know, it's a, it's a classic ACDC song. And he just said to me, this is great. And my dad, <laughs> God bless, he's in his 70s. He is one of those people that has gone on YouTube and listened to that song repeatedly because he loves it. And he's actually checked out a lot of this stuff. And I guess that's kind of the magic of this band that they are obviously a hard rock band. Some might call them heavy metal. I, I think they're strictly a hard rock band in my eyes. But they seem to transcend... Um, generations, I guess, where you have people in their 70s that are rocking out, and obviously they're selling out stadiums whenever they play live, and then you have kids that hear this stuff, and they're it still kind of they latch on to some of these hits as well. It's it's kind of remarkable in that regard because they have, you know, you, you mentioned about a half dozen of them. They have certain songs that are just iconic rock and roll songs, and probably go down as some of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time. Did you know that ACDC is Vince McMahon's favorite band? I did not know that. Are you serious? Yeah. Um, I've heard stories of like him going to like ACDC concerts with like Triple H and Chris Jericho and like, um, 
I don't know why. I mean, it probably makes sense when you think of over the years how often ACDC was used by WWE for pay-per-views and things of that nature. But um, yeah, um, I think Chris Jericho revealed it in one of his books that um, ACDC is Vince McMahon's favorite band. And that's a man who's uh, uh, 76 years old, I yeah. believe. So yeah. there you go. It's um, it's remarkable. It really is. And, and I mean, obviously, I gave the reasons earlier for why I chose this album. But, you know, part of the reason I chose it was I knew the three songs you mentioned. It turns out that I knew one or, or heard heard one or two others as well. But at least half of this album was, you know, a first impression for me. I, I did not know what. Well, <laughs> let, let me say this. I kind of knew what to expect. But at the same time, I didn't know what to expect. And it was it was definitely new for me. So I am really a you know, I was happy to kind of go back into the archives because I'll be honest, this is their, I believe, seventh studio album. Uh, they've obviously released a number of them since then. I'm probably not going to go back and listen to all of them because I think that my biggest knock on the band is a little repetitive, right? Like some of this stuff is derivative of each other. But when you listen to ACDC, I think that that's what you want, right? You know that sound. You want that loud arena or stadium rock sound and they they produce that sound over and over and over again, and they kind of hit you over the head with it. Um, but I'll say this, I, you know, before we get into the album itself, they're a band that I feel like I should have seen live, like at this point, because uh, they are, they're just, uh, you know, just an iconic, iconic band. And it's just a shame that, like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think they're going to be doing it anymore, to say the least. Yeah, um, same with me. I know I've never seen them live. I don't even know that I've ever even considered seeing them live um i got a question for you did you realize that bon scott and brian johnson were two different people because i never really noticed it wasn't like sammy hagar and david lee roth to me like i always thought that they were similar enough that i never realized that they were different singers in all honesty so i knew this but i don't think i would have noticed had I not known that, if that makes sense, I always knew that Back in Black was very, and I use this term a lot, but a turning pan, a turning point for the band insofar as it was Brian Johnson's first foray as, as lead vocalist. And this was right after the passing of, of previous vocalist Bon Scott, who is adored by the fans. But I, I can't, I don't know that I can think of any band that replaced their singer with someone that was almost a spitting image of, of the original singer, just in terms of, listen, it is a unique vocal style, right? Like this is and part of the reason I guess I'm shocked that a, that a Vince McMahon or my dad would be into this is the vocals are not exactly accessible, right? This is not, um, this is not Queen, right? This is, this is not uh, Freddie Mercury fronting the band. This is kind of an abrasive, loud, almost obnoxious type of vocals that are, that are employed here, but yet, People are drawn to it. And it was both of these guys that were doing it. You were hearing it on Thunderstruck. You were hearing it on this album. You were hearing it on Dirty Deeds five years prior, four years prior. It's amazing what they were able to do without missing a beat. And, you know, when whenever you employ a new singer, I think that, you know, f- real fans of the band are, 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 are going to heavily scrutinize the new sound. I, I certainly did it when I, when I was listening to the different eras of Halloween and, you know, we've done it with other bands with Angra. I remember when Andre Matos left Angra and Edu had taken over and it's, you know, it was just different. Great music, just different vocal presentation. But here, um, from the minute this album kicks off, 
you can see it's going to kick ass, which is, which is amazing. And as soon as, as soon as Brian Johnson starts singing, you realize it's like just taking it to the next level. It's, it's, it's remarkable how they actually just were able to continue on, um, without missing a beat here. Yeah, uh, well said. I I agree with you uh, 100% on that. I just I, I just like went back and listened to a couple of the older tracks um with Bon Scott on them and and when you're listening with a keen ear, yeah, I mean they're clearly different singers, but sure. I, over the years like just listening to it on the radio, it just never really dawned on me that like hey, that there's you know, I thought maybe it was just okay, this guy sounds a little bit different cuz it's older, like the older stuff, you know, singers sound different like compare you know, Kai Hansen on Walls of Jericho to Kai Hansen on, you know, somewhere out in space, it, it, you know, you might think that was two different singers. So um, just a, an interesting, you know, personal anecdote that I just never really knew that. And again, like uh, ACDC wasn't always a band that I knew a ton about anyway. But um, so, yeah, I thought this was an interesting choice for an album just because it was their their first album without um, Bon Scott. And, and, you know, like you said, they kind of just kept on going as if, uh, nothing had ever happened. Yeah, I mean the the passing of Bon Scott was sad. It was due to alcohol poisoning. Um, I won't really go too much into the details there, but it was a tragic passing. And and then here they go. And and I'll give them credit because this album starts with maybe the most iconic intro track of all time, arguably. And I'm not just talking about like in our little bubble of hard rock and heavy metal. I'm just ta- I'm talking like iconic first track on an album i think you have to put hell's bells up there with just about every single album out there in terms of iconic intro it starts with those bells then the guitar kicks in obviously the drums kick in after that and it's just the slow build to what is can only be described as one of the best hard rock songs of all time yeah uh, i i think only for whom the bell tolls uh comes close as far as songs that start with bells ringing <laughs> there um, you go right right but it, but but that doesn't kick off ride the lightning right but here you're kicking off the album with just that iconic bell sound i think it is like literally the quintessential hard rock song and what what i find interesting is not only were the braves playing it you know obviously at um at Truist Park, but you know, I used to go to Giants games when I was a kid, and they would right before kickoff play the intro to Hell's Bells before kickoff. So this is being employed. Oh my God, I thought by... you were talking about the San Francisco Giants. <laughs> I was like, wow, we're just working oh, our way a... all around the majors. No, yeah, but the, it's the, quite, the, a, the, quite a commute to see a ball game. But the, the yeah, yeah, right. The the New York Football Giants kicked off their games with it, and it's just like. It's one of those songs that every time I hear it, I, I kind of start moving and I get antsy and I say to myself, like, you're getting pumped up. And I could see as like the, the non-professional athlete in me that goes back to high school sports, like wanting to run through a wall when I hear this song. I just think it's um, I, I just think it's a fantastic tune with one of the greatest guitar solos for a hard rock band that I've that I've ever heard. Um, it's it's I'll say this. It is not my song of the week because it was just too easy a choice. But it's the to me, it's the best song on the album, hands down. The best ACDC song I've ever heard. Wow. Well, there you go. Um, I thought it was an interesting choice to start the album um, with a song like this because it's a very kind of mid-paced tune. But um, I think it was the right call just because it's like, I don't know, this is the way that it ended up becoming. I, I think of ACDC as such a, like, a sport sporting event friendly band there's so many songs that you could just picture hearing in between 
you know, puck drops at hockey games or, or at, at a basketball game or a football game. Like there's just, they, if you remember that album, Jock Rock, I mean, half of those, half of those <laughs> songs could have been ACDC songs, honestly. So yeah, that's, that's really funny. You mentioned that and you're absolutely right. They, uh, they, they've carved out a bit of a niche for themselves because I, I, I don't know that I can say that about most bands, but they should certainly fit the bill. Um, any other thoughts on Hell's Balls, Bells before we move to Shoot the Thrill? No, I think uh, this song pretty much speaks for itself. Like you said, it, it's iconic as hell, uh, no pun intended. And and um, just I think that those bells at the beginning of the song what really puts it over the edge. It really makes it all the more memorable because there's just that 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 audio kind of trigger right at the beginning. So, yeah, a great way to start the album. And, and I, I like that they jump into a song that's like, like faster and more um like more adrenaline kind of with shoot to thrill which um i'm actually gonna say this is gonna be my song of the week just it's not it's not my favorite song on the album either um but it's the one it's the song that i didn't know going into it that i ended up really liking so i wanted to instead of just picking an obvious choice go with something that kind of took me by surprise and this one i ended up really liking so i'm gonna make this one my song of the week i am gonna make it my song of the week as well this tune and i thought it was such a nice contrast because the the beginning of hell's bells really is a tribute to bon scott and that's why they play those bells in the beginning and i guess that's also why it makes sense for an opening track uh just in terms of you know kind of the new the new era of the band shoot to thrill begins almost like zeppelin's houses of the holy at the start which is one of my favorite zeppelin songs uh, but the vocals on this track are just absolutely outstanding, but it keeps that groove throughout. Um, I think it's the most underrated track on the album, and I just absolutely adore this song. What I thought was also a nice touch is about two-thirds of the way through the song, it kind of slows down and mellows out a little bit and then kicks off with another guitar solo, and then they kind of ride the rest of the track out live. That kind of effect, if you will, would be amazing to see live. And it's probably the song that I would want to see the most from this album, just because it's a little bit faster. It's a little bit heavier and it's really catchy, like really, really catchy. I love this track. So you and I are in complete agreement. Is it my favorite song? Probably not, but I loved it. And it was just a nice surprise for me. Yeah. That, that part that you just described kind of reminded me of um, like Panama by Van Halen. Where yeah. Yeah. Towards the end, it gets like kind of a little quiet, a little slow, and then it's like, and then back to business to close out the track. But uh, yeah, this was the one that I just kept 
that that stuck in my head uh, after listening to the album. Um, really not sure how I had not heard this song before. Um, I don't know if they made a, a single out of it. I'm not sure which other of the three I mentioned before were, were singles. Um, I just don't remember hearing any of the other uh, songs on the radio. So yeah, it yeah wasn't. I, I was feel, wondering if yeah. you would pick this track too. So I'm kind of glad that we both kind of agree on that. So yeah, we, we, the, uh, the, the suspense is out, out of the way early. <laughs> yeah. Th- this one, this one was a, really a no brainer for me. Um, we'll get to some of these tracks later, but Hell's Bells, which we mentioned was actually the second single released on the album. Uh, somewhat not surprisingly, you shook me all night long was the first, with the first single released. Uh, they'd ultimately released back in black and rock and roll ain't noise pollution as well as the fourth single. So 40% of the album was released as singles and you know, maybe the track that kind of hit us the most as a surprise was never released as a single, which I thought is kind of interesting. I I, I wonder if it's a, a tune that they, um, you know, they they play live or anything like that. I, I did not look at set lists. I'll I'll, I'll admit, but it was something that I would want to hear if if I was going to a show. Um, and, and I guess Oddly enough, you know, I just looked it up, and it looks like that it was um, it was released as a live single in 2011. Um, How ironic is that? Yeah, yeah. So I guess they. Um, had released a live album around that time, so they released a uh, a, a single from it. Um, Thirty one years uh, after the fact, yeah, and and it was in um, it was in the Iron Man two soundtrack. So maybe that's why it was a te- maybe it was a little bit familiar, and I just didn't realize it. But um, I'll definitely notice it the next time I watch Iron Man two. I'll say that. Well, I think that begs the question, and that's what did you you do for money, honey? Which is the third track. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm they, an underwriter. <laughs> it, it's funny. They, they they kick off this album with, with two just like perfect songs, in my opinion, just two fantastic tunes. And then we and – and you got to remember, this is the days of the record, right? So there's five songs on each side of the record. Uh, they would ultimately kick off side two of the record very strong as well. But we, we get into this third track and I say to myself, you can't, I guess, go to the well too many times. Um it's just a bit ordinary, I guess, when you compare it to the last two. Not not terrible, but just not as catchy. Uh, a little bit nondescript, in my opinion, with with extremely cheesy lyrics. Yes, but also like vintage ACDC. No question. Like it's kind of like the ACDC go to like you know not <laughs> not popular single track. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't my favorite. A little, I, I thought it was. I mean, you're gonna find a lot of the these songs are kind of. Um, cheesy lyric lyric wise, like they're either like like really badass, like Hell's Bells or Shoot to Thrill, and then you have like a song like this or the following song, Oof. Giving the Dog a Bone. Um, I, I I cannot stop thinking uh, about. There's a certain imagery that comes to mind when it's giving the dog a bone, and it's something we did talk about briefly uh, earlier this week. You want? Do you want to tell me? Tell everyone about the video that you almost sent to me <laughs> as they repeat this chorus over and over again, which is just the name of the, the the title track giving the dog a bone um i'm not a fan of this song but i am a fan of the imagery in the video that you almost sent me well yeah i was gonna just send you a, a video of my dogs <laughs> while this song was playing in the background but i didn't think it'd be that interesting because they were both sleeping through the, through the song <laughs> so maybe that says um, the, the sexual innuendo here as well and I, we talked a little bit about that last week these the acdc is notorious for this they've been doing this on every album and certain songs there's no innuendo they when, when we get to um 
You shook me all night long. There's no innuendo there. You know exactly what it is. Here, it's a little more uh, nondescript, if you will. I'm not a fan of giving the dog a bone. It's it's catchy as hell. I certainly find myself humming humming it and, and kind of singing it. I acknowledge that. I'm just not a fan of the song. It really is a little – doesn't really do it for me. Yeah, I kind of put it in the same category as the previous track. Like, it's just okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It, it, it's – some of the uh some of the like overt <laughs> imagery is maybe maybe it was like edgy in 1980 but now it's just comes off as kind of cheesy like i feel like uh i feel like some of the stuff would make tesla blush after what we spoke <laughs> about last week but um yeah you know not not a terrible song just just okay um <laughs> you know but then let's go to the, the next track if you were talking about uh you know subtle uh, imagery. Uh, let me put my love into you. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, my love is, is, you know, it's funny. I actually do like this track a little bit better. Uh, not because of the imagery per se, but because I, I think the intro is really cool. And it, this kind of has this like slow guitar riff that kind of permeates a lot of the song. And it reminds me of like either early UFO or early Aerosmith. I, it's hard for me to put a finger on it, but there's something about this track, which I actually really enjoy. Um, Again, uh, another absurd, absurd chorus. I, I did like the backing vocals here. They kind of use this like trick of like dual layered backing vocals, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, obviously, it's it's structured like just about every other song on the album. Um, but here's an example of them kind of sticking to the formula and it working for me. So of, of the first five tracks, I, I would put this one right in the middle in terms of the pantheon of side one or the, the A side of the album. Uh, a, a good a, a good tune. Not not my favorite, but but a little bit a little bit better than than the the prior two tracks. Yeah, maybe the worst sexual innuendo ever of let me cut your cake with my knife. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't say I'd be singing this uh, you know, or uh, singing this anytime soon, but it 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 there's something there. There there's something on this track which at least musically did it for me even if the if, even if it's a little bit absurd. It, yeah, I liked it better than the previous two tracks for sure. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned earlier like about um you know the 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 having two sides on on a, on an LP and it's funny cuz i know we talk a lot about you know track ordering and and we did it kind of at length when we talked about uh fate's warnings parallels album but i mean it it makes sense when you think about it, like why is back in black track 6 well you're kind of looking at like this is the first song on on side b of either the cassette or the the um the the vinyl version so it kind of it's almost like you're kind of starting fresh with another iconic track kind of like hell's bells started side one back and black starts side two so like it's interesting how that was probably a, a much larger consideration when um you know vinyl was was prominent although now uh, you know vinyl's making quite a comeback i thought i read somewhere that it's it's actually more purchased now than cds um really yeah like it's actually out um outsold cds because i think it's just uh some people swear by it they say that it sounds sounds better um i don't know that if i necessarily agree with it but there's certain albums i think are just totally worth having um on on vinyl and i feel like having this would be a pretty cool uh vinyl to have but uh i digress this is um another one of the the most classic acd songs um i think of uh 
Eric Bischoff coming out to this back in the uh, WCW days um, with him coming out to Back in Black and, and Vince Russo coming out to um, Iron, uh, Iron Man by Black Sabbath. Yeah, it's it's you, you, it's funny you mentioned that. It's I would argue maybe the second most famous track on the album before the before the next one. That you're talking about another iconic intro here with arguably one of the most notable riffs of all time. And, and to their credit, I've heard it a thousand times at this point, and it really even listening to it a half dozen times this week, it it, it held up right. Great tune, no question about it. Um, I, I'll say this, and, and I don't know if you kind of got this, but there's two things going on on this track that were a little fascinating to me. Number one, the vocals during the, the choruses, almost a precursor to rap, right? Is it me or is Brian Johnson kind of rapping here over those, you know, in those, in those choruses? I thought that was interesting because, you know, rap really wasn't a thing in 1980. Um, and although it's a bit repetitive, there are parts here that almost touch on death metal with the way he uses his vocals as well. So you got a touch of rap and a touch of death metal in a 1980 hard rock song. It was it was fascinating. And I don't think I ever really listened to it with a critical ear because, you know, I just heard it a thousand times. But when I really sat down and listened, it's kind of a deeper track than I had ever given it credit for. Yeah, and that probably has something to do with why it was so popular, just because it probably resonated with more people than maybe some of the other songs from the album that were a little bit just kind of, I don't want to use the word generic, but just kind of like, you know, your, your, your typical kind of hard rock kind of song. And this had definitely, like you said, has more layers to it. So I think that it makes it maybe accessible to a larger audience. But I mean, even to this day, uh, 41 years later, this is one of the most, not just iconic ACDC songs, one of the most iconic rock songs ever. And, and I'll say this before we move on. This was the first track, and, and again, we're more than halfway through the album, but we're, this is the first track where I really noticed how good of a drummer Phil Rudd is. We haven't mentioned him. Obviously, when you think of ACDC, you think of the vocalists, or you think of uh, Angus and Malcolm Young running around on stage with their guitars. Cliff Williams rounds it out with with, the, with his bass uh, with his bass playing, but Phil Rudd here does some really cool drum fills during the instrumental part of this song, which I thought is just worth noting because I'm not sure I would have mentioned him, but for this track and some of the little nuances that stood out to me. Uh, but well done, I, I have to say, very very well done. And that and then this track obviously leads into "You Shook Me All Night Long," which. I think if you asked most people that this would be the number one ACDC song that they either know of or recognize, uh, probably their most well-known tune. Yeah, um, it always um, makes me think of the uh, Howard Stern uh, biopic, uh, Private Parts, because at the end of the film, I believe it's... They believe it's like 1985, and he's at the at an ACDC concert when his wife goes into labor, and I'm sure there was some artistic, uh, you know, whatever uh, artistic uh, freedoms used in that storytelling. But I always think of that at the end of that uh, film um, with this song playing, and this was a staple on my um, my party mixes when I was in college. I would I would. This uh, this is going to date myself quite a bit, but this was just shy of the the iPod era, and so we had a. Uh, I would burn like five discs of of just random party songs, and then we put them in a five disc changer and shuffle them. So you'd have these very awkward like fifteen second 
uh, silences in between tracks, but um, <laughs> this was always, I just felt it was just such a fun song to listen to after you had a few drinks and you're playing some beer pong and everybody's just hanging out. Like, I, and it reminds me of how I remember I had a, a housemate um, who would say, you know, the reason that girls never come to your house for parties is because you don't play any music that they can dance to. And I was like, yeah, well, I don't care because <laughs> I'd rather listen to You Shook Me All Night Long or, or, oh, my God, the other one we used to play all the time, if you could believe it, was uh, from Iron Maiden's uh, Brave New World, The Wicker Man. Um, wow. So, that, yeah. So I don't even think it was ACDC that was keeping the girls away. I'm pretty sure it was The Wicker Man, which, great song. It was probably but- all, all of the songs that were on that <laughs> well, list. I mean, it was like, I mean, if you were a rock fan, like, you know, it was Aerosmith and Van Halen and, and ACDC and Guns N' Roses and, like, but if you were like coming to a party to dance, like you were in the the wrong house because um, uh, it was a rock house. To, to this, to the credit of ACDC, and I'll, I'll borrow a phrase that you have not yet used this week, but you've used in past weeks. This is the toe tapper. This is the radio hit. This is the toe tapper. And if girls going to get on your pool table, this is the song, right? Like this is the one they're going <laughs> to actually move to. Have a feeling they never got on your pool table, but that's okay. I I, I do think that this is like. There's a reason they, they led with this as the first single. It is a really catchy tune. And even though you could argue that it's like played out and you've heard it a million times, I still enjoyed it this week. I have to say, I, I think it's still a really, really great tune. Yeah. It's, it's my, it's probably my favorite song from this album. I just decided not to, not to choose it as a song of the week just because, I mean, if you don't know this song and you've been living under a rock, I have to. You're probably assume. not listening to this podcast if you don't know. Yeah. This song. Well, that's a fair point. Um, but even still, like, um, it's a song where if I see it while I'm flipping through a jukebox at a bar, like, I just think it's, it's just a, it's a great, like, just partying song, I think. Totally. And, um, I, I still, I, it might, it might be my favorite ACDC song of all time. I, I do love Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap or shout out to, to Mike Crea, Dirty Deeds Thunder Chief. <laughs> um, story for another album, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is yeah, definitely one of my favorites, and it deserves its iconic status. What did you think of "Have a Drink on Me," which is the eighth track? Um, like again, it's just another one of these kind of like mid-paced ACDC songs that, um, you know, it's just kind of like uh, it's pretty straightforward <laughs> what they're singing about, and and uh, it's okay. Like it's in all honesty, like all the songs that I didn't know outside of shoot to thrill are all just kind of average to me. And this is another one of those tracks. I would, I'll just say one thing about this and it's actually one of my favorite riffs on the entire album. I thought the choruses are kind of weak. I did like the verses here. Um, and again, another good touch with the backing vocals, but I, I the riff itself that permeates this song is a really good riff and, and very underrated. Um, as opposed to kind of the next two tracks, which I shake a leg, which is the ninth track is definitely the track that kind of grew on me more than any other. Um, it actually reminds me a little bit of that early rush, like a working man or passage to Bangkok vibe, which is kind of cool. Um, and, and kind of a track that's a, the solo itself with where it's a bit ahead of its time. It grew on me more than other, any other track, but I, I, I can't say that I loved the way this album ends. Um, rock and roll ain't noise pollution. Actually, I thought was 
maybe the weakest track on the album. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but um, shake a leg. Any thoughts? Yes. Um, I, it's, I think it's so interesting that you mentioned early rush because I, this reminded me of Led Zeppelin and I always thought early rush reminded me of Led Zeppelin. There you go. So, you know, uh, skipping B you get from A to C, I guess, but um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is probably my favorite of the um, the the other four songs, I guess that I mentioned earlier. Um, I think it's pretty catchy. I think it might have been better served as the final song because I agree with you. I thought "Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution" was my least favorite on the album as well. It's just a little bit, a um, little bit like kind of dull, I guess. Um, I am so happy you mentioned that. I would have flipped the two tracks too, and I have that in my notes. Shake a Leg would have made for a great closing track, and I would have buried Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution as the ninth track. I, think I, would, have, I would have put Shook Me All Night Long as the last track, because you have hmm. Side B starting with Back in Black. I think you should have the album end with Shook Me All Night Long, but uh, I mean, who knows, when they were making this album, maybe they had zero clue which songs were going to end up being the singles, or Never mind the singles, but like some of the most iconic rock songs of all time. Uh, Fair. Rock Fair. and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution did was not one of those songs. It, it's it's it, sonically it sounds good. Like I want to like this track, but I was I found myself like waiting for this payoff that just never came, and it was repetitive, and it just never clicked, and it made me just want to go back to the start of the album, and listen to Hell's Bells again, and just not like listen to that song to end the album. I, I just that that was a miss for me. Can't love them all, but you know, at the end of the day, um, without patting myself on the back, uh, I thought it was. I was happy that I chose this because I don't know that I would have ever gone back to listen to any of this stuff. Yeah, nor nor would I have. And uh, it, a funny story is that I wasn't actually looking at my iTunes while I was listening to this album the first time. So when this song ended, I was waiting for the next song to come on, and then Thunderstruck came on. I was like, oh, I guess that's the end. I guess that's how it ended. That's I'm funny. like. Another thing I want to just mention quickly about Thunderstruck, because I don't know how soon it'll be that we speak about ACDC again. Um, I was shocked when I found out that that song came out in 1990. I, I always assumed it was older for whatever reason. Yeah, it, it's such a, um, I guess, iconic track in so far as it's like just, you know, up there in the top ACDC songs. But yeah, that, that came out in 1990. So for, for longtime fans of the band that go back to the, the, the Bon Scott era, um, to, to, to release a track 10 years after Back in Black is released, let alone the Dirty Deeds and all the, the other, um, the old Bon Scott stuff, they released like a real heavy hitter kind of, you know, two decades into their run as a band. I thought that that was really good. It was, um, you know, you mentioned the Wicker Man earlier, which was kind of the Iron Maiden's return to form with Bruce Dickinson after he rejoined the fold. Even that track, as good as it is, you wouldn't say it's like the most iconic Iron Maiden track, even though it's a phenomenal tune on what I would consider one of their best albums. Story for another day, story for another podcast. But with Thunderstruck, they, they literally struck gold Again, no pun intended. With 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 that song, twenty years into their career, yeah, I didn't I didn't even think they had any well known songs like after the eighties. So I was I was just kind of surprised. So uh, yeah, the very another like that opening riff is another one of the most iconic uh, opening riffs to to any song. So um, and another another like sports arena staple, like you oh mentioned. for sure. For sure. And I, and I guess I'll just kind of 
put a bow on it by saying, again, I had mentioned earlier one of the one of the most the second most well sold albums of all time. You're talking about an album that I think went 25 times platinum in the United States, 25 times platinum. I didn't even know that that was a thing. I, th- I always think about Metallica's Black album, which I think is still on the Billboard charts. And this just blew it out of the water, right? Like this, 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 this was on the charts before it and continues to just sell albums. It's, it's incredible in this day and age, but the, the, the staying power of this album was, um, truly legendary and, and, and second to almost none. Scale of one to 10, what are you going to rate this album? Because I have some thoughts here. Uh, it's hard for me to say. Um, I'd probably give it a seven. Um, I think that the the songs that are great carry it, but the songs that are just okay kind of drag it down for being like an all time classic for me. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just a seven that I you know solid, but uh, not it's not an all time classic for me. Yeah, see, and, and that's the thing. I think that you have like three or four tracks here which are so good that it literally carries the entire album, and the rest of it. I would lump in with other like nondescript ACDC songs. I'm going to give it a 7.5, but that's just because it's held up by these other tracks that like seemingly never get old. And and if this week was any indication, they didn't get old. I enjoyed listening to some of these hits over and over and over again. Um, but if I, you know, I, 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 I'm remiss to say, but if they, if these, some of these tracks weren't on the disc, I don't know that anyone's talking about this album today. You know what I'm saying? Like it's 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 held together by three or four tracks, which really just boosted up into uh, you know a, a, an album that sold 25 million copies here in the U.S., for example. Yeah, I agreed. Um, I read some <laughs> some great quotes about this album on their uh, the, on the Wikipedia entry that I just thought had to be had to be shared because. Um, I think they do a better job than, than us at, at kind of verbalizing their their thoughts about this album. So um, just a, a couple ones that really kind of um, stuck out to me. Uh, David Frick uh, in uh, Rolling Stone in 1980 said that uh, Back in Black is not only the best of ACDC's six American albums, but the apex of heavy metal art, the first LP since Led Zeppelin II that captures all of the blood, sweat, and arrogance of the genre, which I think is, uh, is, is well said. Um, <laughs> another one, um, this is uh, Rolling Stone critic uh, Christian Horde um, said, the leanest and meanest record of all time, balls out arena rock that punks could love. Um, and, and I think that, that brings up an interesting point is that like the, the, the time that the album was released, I mean, the, the hair metal era of the 80s hadn't really begun yet. And that kind of like really heavy kind of punk rock late 70s um, era was, was going strong. So I feel like this album really came out at, a t- at the time that it should have come out. Um, yeah, that's a so, great point. I, you know, it's it's had this been the height of the hair metal era, I don't know that it necessarily catches on. But at the same time, it's you know, Led Zeppelin has now come and gone. So Black Sabbath has, has already hit. So people are not just shocked by this hard rock style. It was the perfect time for this. And, and to be fair, the band had already kind of went mainstream and hit it with their prior release, Highway to Hell, in, in, one year prior. So to their credit, they were just kind of picking up where, where, where they had left off. But it was the timing was right for this, I guess is the way to say it. 
Yeah. And I, I do want to read one more. Um, I think that this really, I think, um, kind of just perfectly states the good and bad of, of this album. And it was, uh, it was written, um, by Kitty Empire of the Observer. Um, and, uh, so she said, Back in Black is a preposterous drongoid record built on casual sexism, eye-rolling double entendres, a highly questionable attitude to sexual consent, a penchant for firearms, and a crass celebration of the unthinking macho hedonism that killed the band's original singer. However, (laughs) it was the obsessive soundtrack of my adolescence, the racy middle-brow thriller that spoke to me both as a tomboy who wanted to be one of the guys and the increasingly female ingenue who needed to work out the world of men. Plus, teenagers love death. I'm going to just end our commentary right there and and leave that on its own because that is extremely well said. I I, I do uh, want to go back to last week for one second with, with our Tesla album. We actually had another recommendation, and I think it's something that we can cover later on. Uh, but they said that if you enjoyed Tesla, to listen to that Badlands debut. They were another band that came out in 89, and I think it's something that's worth listening to. And it's interesting because Paul, ne- Paul O'Neill of Sabotage kind of produced that album, which is, again, very much in the same vein. I, I know a couple of songs off the album. I, I don't know the full album, but Really cool stuff and and got a lot of positive feedback from our Tesla episode. So, Dale, thanks again for recommending it and thanks everyone for listening. But let's get to the news of the week because there's a couple of things that uh, I think are worth mentioning. And I'm very, very excited about two things in particular. I had mentioned the Porcupine Tree and you, you obviously mentioned it as well, the Porcupine Tree album that was coming out. But there were two other bands that announced singles that were going to be released in the not so distant future uh, with full albums to be coming out on next year. And that's uh, Amorphous and Blind Guardian. Amorphous announced their new album, Halo, which is due out on February the 11th of next year, uh, singles forthcoming, and Blind Guardian announcing their new single, Deliver Us From Evil, uh, which will be out on December 3rd. Um, needless to say, two of the more consistent bands, both of which we've discussed uh, on the show, and you can hear those episodes in the archives, I am looking forward to both of these singles because Amorphous especially is just the epitome of, um, you know, consistency. And I just, you know, obviously I love that sound. Yeah. And not just consistency, but uniqueness. I mean, I find that no other band really sounds like uh, Amorphous. So, and, you know, Blind Guardian goes without saying. So yeah, I'm looking forward to both of those. I just wanted to mention quickly also, because I know, Two of our regular listeners, Nops and Mike, are uh, fans of the band Stabbing Westward. Um, they actually um, are going to be releasing their first album in 20 years. Um, and uh, that's gonna, that album's going to be called Chasing Ghosts, and that'll be out in March of next year. So um, I don't know if you've ever really given um, Stabbing Westward a, a good listen. It's kind of in the vein of that, like... Um, late nineties kind of nine inch nail style industrial rock slash metal. But um, I always found that they had really catchy stuff. So it's kind of cool to hear that they're um, doing another album 20 years later. Yeah. I, I know nothing by them. I think I, I, there's one or two songs that I've heard and, you know, I think they had one or two really big hits that I kind of vaguely remember. You probably would I, know uh, what do I have to do? That's it. It's probably their most popular song. Yeah. And, and they, to your, to your point, very much that industrial sound, um, which, 
I can kind of take or leave. Uh, but I'm curious to hear, you know, new music from any band that gets back together after 20 years, considering they're pretty popular. They have quite a name for themselves and they kind of maintain their popularity over time. So kudos to them for getting back together. Um, so that's, that kind of wraps up the news for the week, unless you have anything else. No, that's pretty much it. Um, so had a lot to say last week, not as much this week. I did see that, um, that Ozzy's, uh, Ozzy's um, Diary of a Madman album is going to be celebrating a four, uh, 40th anniversary. So um, I, I'm sure at some point we'll have to uh, talk about one of Ozzy's uh, iconic uh, solo albums. I almost chose this, actually. But, Get um, out of here. I, I, I'm at this point now where I have like a ton of... Um, a ton of albums that I want to talk about. And so I'm having a hard time figuring out which ones to pick. Um, well, lo- lots of time left, but unfortunately we're going to have to choose one uh, for next week. Wh- what are you going with? I-, I think Ozzy would have been an interesting choice, but um, I feel like you have something else in store for next week. Yeah, I do. Um, there's a band that um, I think the both of us got into late um, cause they've been around a while. And when we got into them, we really got into them and that band's pretty maids and we haven't really had a chance to talk about any of their albums. And in all honesty, like I don't really know any of their albums start to finish, um, from before I got into them, which was around the time pandemonium was released. So, um, I- I'm going to go with future world just because, um, some of my favorite songs are on this album, uh, Yellow Rain, Rodeo, Love Games, uh, the title track. So um, that's the, ch- the choice I-, I made. I was having a hard time choosing something, and then I, I read an article about Ronnie Atkins, and he's still kind of struggling with his stage four uh, lung cancer. So I thought, uh, I don't know, that just kind of made me feel like we should talk about uh pretty maids and you know I'm, I'm trying my best to choose bands we haven't talked about it in long form yet it's getting a little bit harder but um there's a handful that i, I um i've i've found so i think uh we got still plenty more um uh, you know bands we haven't spoken to yet and and we'll, we'll definitely be uh, revisiting bands we have spoken about um but i i just thought this was a uh a good choice. I've never actually, I don't know that I've ever actually listened to this album start to finish, although I do know all the songs from it. So, um, yeah, I, I look forward to talking about pretty maids. I know that they, um, played this album in it, in its entirety, um, on one of their last pre pandemic tours. I know they played it in its entirety, um, on 70,000 tons of, of metal, um, the, the metal cruise. So, Obviously, it's held in high regards by the band. It's their second uh, full full length album. It came out in nineteen eighty seven. So, uh, yeah, uh, let's talk about Pretty Maids. I love the choice. I knew it was only a matter of time, and I can assure that everyone that's listening, I have plenty of albums and bands that we have not discussed. So I'm just I keep a running list, and I have all the requests that come in on a rolling basis. So I I, I always look back at those as well. But um, Plenty of new stuff and, and plenty of albums by bands that we have discussed because some of these bands have such massive discographies that I think it's worth talking about some of them in long form more than once. But I look forward to Pretty Maids next week. Uh, great choice with the album. I, uh, you know, I got into them around the same time you did in the 2000s. So this is, it's good to go back because even though I think we know a lot of the hits off this stuff, I definitely don't know some of the deeper cuts. So, um, Good choice. Good choice. I like it a lot. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, keep reaching out to us. If there's anything that you want us to cover, um, we have our 
album picked out for next month and the start of next month. Uh, but other than that, we have a list of requests and we, you know, we, we kind of go through them as, as, as timely as they may be. So keep them coming. Uh, keep, uh, you know, we love the engagement and we will talk to everyone soon when we come back and, and go back to 1987 with, with pretty mates. Beautiful. Talk to you soon, but I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care.